0: Liberal religionists argue that a God of love would never punish someone for their evil. Has this rejection of the idea of a holy, just God halted the virulence of evil in the world? If sin could be dealt with by human education techniques, then why did God allow His Son to die on a cross? This is Truth Encounter, a program committed to challenging you to open the Bible for yourself and study what it actually does have to say. Today's study takes us to Revelation chapter 16 for the conclusion of a study titled, Ignoring the Warning Signs. Now, let's join our study leader, Dave Wurtzen, as he wrestles with the question, does God ever bring hard times into our lives because of our sin?
1: As you look back over your life, there's some plagues that come upon us just because we live in a sinful world. And that the book of Job reminds us that it's totally wrong to look at somebody facing sores and, and terrible sicknesses and terrible deaths in their family and just say, well, God's judging them. You can't do that. Job tells us that sometimes a perfectly loving child of God, really in tune with him, can face tremendous times of opposition. But I also want you to know that the Bible's very clear that sometimes plagues, sometimes illnesses, sometimes hard times are God's spanking hand, sometimes His punishing hand, trying to get our attention. And I want to ask you, like, if you look back over your life, Think about the times that you began to follow the Antichrist forces. You began to not listen to God's word. You weren't listening to this book. You weren't paying attention to it. And then as you begin to think about your life, didn't things start to go wrong? Didn't things slowly but surely start to deteriorate? Didn't things begin to start to go chaotic? How did you respond when that happened? And that's a very important thing. The way you respond as you begin to wander away and God the Father brings his discipline against you, the way you respond to that shares a lot about your heart. And if you find yourself cursing him and getting angrier with him and rejecting him harder, I want you to understand the virulence and the malignancy of that force that's in your life. And all how you need to come to Jesus. And all how you need to not play games with him. Because this is very serious stuff. This is the end of time. And it can be the end of our life. And the way to the sin is death. That's what this chapter is bringing out. And I want you to see that you're going to deal with people. It's very important for you as a group of believers. Many of you that know the Lord. It's very important for you to have it in your hopper. For you to know that there are people who are ingrained in their commitment against God and against his son. And they curse him, and they blaspheme him, and they hate him. And the harder the consequences come for their sin, the harder they get. It's important if you understand that evil can get into those kind of dimensions. It will cause us to get burdened about praying as we see brothers and sisters wrestling with evil. We're always trying to come up with a new technique and a new plan of what we can do. What we really need to do is to pray. Only the Lord God of heaven can really deal with the malignancy of evil. Only he can deal with the craziness of it, the irrationality of it. And I want you to see this horrible hardness of evil's hold. We turn to verse 12. We learn about another dimension. Look what it says in verse 12. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the king of the east. Then I looked and I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are the spirits of demons performing miraculous signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole earth, gather them for the battle of the great day of God Almighty. This is the battle of Armageddon. What we have described here in this bold judgment is that the Lord God allows the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan, to powerfully express itself. The dragon, is, the idea of these three frogs, represents the uncleanness. A frog in the Old Testament law was an unclean animal. A frog, kind of, to us, it seemed like a slimy, some kind of a, you know, it croaks, it makes a lot of noise, but there's really no real, real danger in it. And so the frog represents these false teachers that are croaking out this religious garbage, this religious stuff that doesn't really have any power behind it because it's not the truth. But they're able to do these miracles. We also have a reminder of the Egyptian plague of the frogs. In fact, the Lord did that. In fact, almost all the Egyptian plagues are the God's assault against the Egyptian worship. And it sounds crazy to us, but the Egyptians actually worshipped frogs. And they worshiped frogs as a representation of their goddess of resurrection. They believed that the frog was the goddess of resurrection that would bring life to them and immortality to them. They also worshiped the sun, which alludes to the, the plague we just talked to, where God is showing that he's really in control of the sun. So a lot of these plagues are an assault against this false belief, this false belief system that worships unclean things. And the frog is representing the idea that during the tribulation period, as Antichrist speaks, empowered by the dragon Satan, and as the false prophet is speaking, that they are ultimately being controlled by the great dragon and his demonic hordes. Now, don't just jump and say, well, David's just talking about some weirdo, kind of a horror flick and kind of a Halloween kind of stuff. I'm not. There really is such a thing called the angels of Satan, the henchmen of Satan, those that fell with him. They're not omnipresent. They're not omnipotent. But they're very, very powerful. And there are times, if you study history, as you begin to study history, you begin to understand that there's times where armies break forth. Before World War I, before World War II, right in the last century, there is a craziness in the world. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that it could have been averted. All kinds of ways the world didn't need to be plunged into evil. And yet as you read the pages of history, it's like, what in the world? It's like people went bananas. They went crazy. And this terrible violence breaks forth. And once it breaks forth, it's like it's, you open up Pandora's box. And it gets worse and worse and worse. That's what Revelation describes. describing. We're not just up against natural forces. We're not just up against natural psychological forces. We're not just against physical forces. The Bible's telling us, in a postmodern world, that there is a real supernatural realm. There's the realm in the supernatural of God and His Son and His Spirit. And that's the greatest power there is in the universe. Demonic power and satanic power is not even in the same ball game with the power of Jesus. It's very important for you to understand that. But if you choose to not live under the power and the filling and the control of the Holy Spirit, then Revelation, in this very powerful vision, is saying that you'll be duped, you'll be deceived, by deceitful spirits, by demonic spirits. To like, give you an illustration, Paul would write to the Corinthians, and so said, when you go and worship in the temples to Aphrodite, or you worship uh, some of the other Greek gods, you worship Zeus. You know, and I know, that the the metal idol there, the wood idol covered with gold, with an overlay of gold, we know that it's just a hunk of wood with some metal on it. So some of the Christians were saying, well, what difference does it make? If I go and worship in the temple of Zeus, what difference if I go and worship in the temple of Aphrodite? It's all just a hunk of wood and some metal. Paul warns them, behind that worship of that metal object, there's a system where they're really worshiping demons. And it's all involved in idolatry where you're actually bowing before the forces of darkness. And Paul says that a born-again believer in the first century he would say to us today, we need to be very sure that we give all of our worship. We even sing here at the church family, Lord, I give you all my worship, all of my worship. We need to give all of our worship to Jesus, the Son of God, His Father, and the Holy Spirit. We need to be very careful about singing the other things. And adoring other things that are not connected with him. Because those are very subtle things. Who do I worship? Who do I serve? Who do I look to? Where do I go for guidance? Whose voice do I listen to? Whether it's studying this book, studying theology, studying different, uh, different courses in your life. You need to understand that the Bible's telling us that it's not just a neutral zone. It's just not a neutral thing. It tells us that there are deceptive spirits that try to capture your religious devotion, try to grab your spiritual life. In the tribulation period, it's going to be the most intense activity of this kind of seduction. The Antichrist and his false prophet, with the power of Satan working behind them, are actually going to be able to do incredibly powerful miracles. And through their miracles, they're going to be able to get all the world gathered together to do war... To take over this planet for themselves against the forces of heaven. That's how crazy it's going to get. And that's the idea of the Euphrates drying up. It's like preparing the way for the kings. I believe there's going to be literal armies marching from Asia. They're all converging on the Holy Land because they want to take over. So we're introduced here not only to the justice of God's justice, not only the hardness of evil's hold, but we're also reminded of the demonic power of evil. In verse 15, it talks to us about how we need to prepare. It says, Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keep his clothes with him, so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. The picture here is of a guard. You know, a guard that has guard duty. And when you're a guard, you don't take off your armor, take off your clothes, get your sleeping bag out, and get in your bag and fall asleep. Because when the enemy attacks and you're sleeping in your sleeping bag, you're going, to be, you're going to be attacked. If you wake up soon enough, before they take your life, you're going to jump out of your sleeping bag, and you're going to go running away in your skivvies. Or if you're even less modest, you'll go running away stark naked, and you'll be the laughing stock of everybody. That's the picture that's used here. It's used of someone that's caught with their pants down. They're not ready. They're not clothed. Now, what does it mean? What is he talking about? He's, he's John the Apostle, writing to first century believers, saying, you have been clothed with the Son of God if you believed in him, if you've trusted him. He's saying, blessed are you that have done that. Because Jesus has entered your life, and he's given you the gift of his righteousness. And as you walk daily with him, more and more, you're waking up, and you're understanding what's going on, and you're living a life of meaning. You're living a life that really holds together. He's saying, blessed are you if you do that. Happy are you if you do that. But he's also warning us. There can be people right in our midst. They look pretty much like us and they seem to be really responding to the things of God. But very possibly they've never taken this real clothing. They've really never taken Jesus inside their life. And therefore they're kind of sleepy. In other words, you know, they're just really not into this Jesus thing. They're really not into this God thing. They're really not into this Bible thing. They're just kind of into a lot of other things. And Jesus is warning us to the Apostle John. He's saying, listen, we live on the edge of eternity. We live on the edge. We never know when the great event of the tribulation period will be enacted. Jesus could come back before we finish worshiping today. We need to be ready. The Apostle Peter and 2 Peter use exactly the same imagery. The Apostle Paul uses it in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, don't be like those that are sleeping. A lot of your friends in the unbelieving world aren't sleeping spiritually. You think of the kids in the high school. A lot of you say, what's the meaning of your life? Man, I'm just trying to get through this exam week. I just want to go to a party. I just want to have a friend. I just want to be able to have that girl or have that guy. That's sleeping. Some of you men and women work with people at work. You say, what are you really living for? Saying, man, I just want to go on that next vacation. I just want to be able to go to Cancun. And I want to be able to get that next raise so I can make that great big trip. That's what their life is. The Bible describes that's a life that you're asleep. You're sleeping. Evil is all around you. Evil is sucking your kids down. Evil is destroying their lives. Immorality is gutting us out. I heard the, uh, the attorney for this whole area. He's saying that one out of every three girls in our society, will be abused sexually. He talked about the most dangerous place for kids in our society today is the home. Violent abuse against loved ones in the home. That's the most dominant place that it happens. But that's what Revelation is talking about. We live in a world where you've got to be awake. Evil things are very much around us. They're happening around us. You can't move to another town. You can't move farther away. Wherever you go, the darkness of evil is going to impact you. And the book of Revelation is telling us that we need to really take this seriously, that God's going to bring justice against evil so we can rejoice. God will ultimately defend the cause of justice. So it's not going to be some pretend Superman, but there's an almighty, holy God that's going to stand for what's right. We also need to recognize that evil can have an incredibly hard hold. So don't play with it. Don't monkey with it. Don't take little steps into it. We need to see that it gets a deceptive, paralyzing hold on people. And it can get a hold of you so much that you really can't get out of it. We also need to see that there's a demonic power. That it's not just human forces, not just earthly forces. But there is incredible, demonic, satanic power that's behind evil. And we need to have appropriate dress. And the only way we're going to have appropriate dress is to take the life of Jesus, what he did for us on the cross. We need to get really serious about this, deciding what are we going to believe about this? Are we going to go all the way with this? This is what's happening in your marriages. These kind of forces are arrayed against your marriage. And we need to get really serious about this. How are we going to conquer this? We need to pray. You know why? Because our whole church is only as strong as its individual marriages. The church is built on marriages. You're a wife and a husband are pictured as Christ and his bride, the church. Our witness to the world is in our marriages. It's warfare, spiritual warfare. Satan wants to prove that Jesus cannot help men and women in the 21st century have really godly lives. And don't jump quick at that, men. Where the rubber meets the road is this evil is what gets you up to look at pornographic things. It's this evil that makes you just sit there when your wife's trying to get your attention. It's this evil that makes you get angry when she tries to talk to you and you won't listen. And you harden yourself and you keep cutting her down. And so you go for years. There's time in your marriage where she really wanted to get help. She really wanted to do some major change in your marriage. But you just kept flying ahead in immorality and evil. This is serious stuff. It's time now to turn. Wives, what is the evil in your life? One of the evils is these men. All these men are all the same. You can't ever trust a man. There's not a man on planet earth I can trust. You run into a female world. You listen to all your female friends. And we have just the men and just the women. And the women are saying, boy, those terrible men. That's, that's evil. That's from hell. You have an Ephesians that tells you that a husband is supposed to be the mirror image of Jesus. And he is to be a model for you. And, and to say that that can't ever take place is to deny the power of Jesus. Sure, we're not going to do it perfectly, but to start to have a hopelessness that I'll never be able to have that kind of relationship is a denial of the power of Jesus. And this is the evil that's going on. It's the the onslaught of Satan that's coming in like a flood. He's trying to wipe out our marriages. One of the biggest struggles you're going to have in your life is in your marriages. It's going to be in trying to stay together as husbands and wives. And you need to understand it. God, at the end of time, they had to bring these plagues, these horrible plagues, because that's how strong evil is. You say, well, Dave, how can I overcome it today? We've got to rely and live the power of the resurrection life of Jesus. We should have intense times where we get burdened about what's happening to our kids. Some of our kids are just hardened. And a lot of you as parents are saying, there's nothing I can do. And in some ways, that's true. But there is something you can do. You can get several of your friends to band together to pray your kids into a consistent walk with Jesus. For us to get really serious about really loving each other's kids. If one of my kids was wandering away, totally rebelling against the Lord, not really living truthfully for him, then I need you. I need you. I need you to pray for that, that child. I need you to, to hang in there with me. I need you to sustain me. This is really the evil you're up against. That's what you're fighting with. Don't conclude that Satan will win. Don't conclude there's no hope. God can change people. God can give new life. But it's serious stuff. You can't just pretend, well, I think it'll all work out. No, it won't. We're in an incredibly powerful warfare. Wake up. I want you to look at the clothes that Jesus gave you. And I want you not to be asleep. And I'm telling myself, wake up. Understand what's really going on and what we're really up against. And accept the clothing that Jesus will give us. And I believe that as as, in this time before the tribulation period, as we really understand that this is what we're up against, this is where the world's heading, but knowing how it's all going to end, that we can start to be used to the Spirit of God now, And the truth of the matter is, I believe that there could be a mighty sweep of the Spirit of God that could keep many people from even going into the tribulation period. Do you believe that? I think that's true. I think the Lord could just shake the high schools, shake the elementary schools, shake your business. And I think there could be thousands, maybe millions of people that never go into the tribulation period because they're raptured with us to meet the Son of God and never have to face these plagues and these sores and this blood. They never have to face that justice of God because they have it totally healed for them on Calvary. Do you believe that? You say, no, I I don't believe that. Coach Landry... Was just a quiet guy. When I ate meals with Coach Landry, you had to almost pull talk out of him. Some of you guys said, said to me, Well, Dave, I can't really say the Lord, man, you're just like, you're a motor mouth, a mouth of minute. That's the kind of a person God uses. Coach wouldn't like it at all. Coach was a quiet, mission born Texan that played football. Just a Texas kid that played football up in New York, got a chance to come down here and coach a a team. They didn't even have light bulbs, 30-watt light bulbs, in this old, decrepit gym where they were practicing. And that's all that Coach had. And he started getting in touch with some guys, Prof. Hendricks from Dallas Theological Seminary, and Coach invited Jesus into his heart. And Coach didn't join the Billy Graham team and become an evangelist. He didn't just get a radio program. What did did Coach do? He did what any one of you can do. He lived for Jesus in the NFL. He stood for right in the NFL. He told guys like Bob Lilly, Bob Brunick, Roger Staubach, in the flow of life, he shared Jesus can come and live inside of your life, and he can make a difference. Coach is a tremendous example to all of us, that you can just live for the Lord in your school. In your business, in your home. Coach, it's a great challenge to all of us that here in these days before the rapture takes place, we can become a witness. And who knows how the Lord will take our moments of making decisions for Jesus and multiplying them a millionfold, more than we would ever dream. That's what I dream about. That's what I covet for every one of your lives. Let's pray. Ignoring the warning signs, Lord, I just want to pray that that'll never be written over any of our lives. They ignored the warning signs. Lord Jesus, I would pray that as Revelation chapter 16 is like a great big warning billboard. Beware, evil's virulent. Beware, evil's malignant. Beware, it seduces you. Beware, it locks you in. Oh Lord, I would pray that you would awaken in my heart the horrible destructiveness and malignancy of evil. And I'd ask you, Lord, that we would wake up And that we'd realize that the only protective clothing there is is the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, that can cleanse us from all sin. I pray that every one of us would have that moment in our life where we invite Jesus to come into our life for the first time. And then I pray that we'll live our life allowing him every single day to clothe us with his righteousness. I'd ask you, Lord, that we would realize that We either allow the blood of Jesus to cleanse us from every sin and forgive us and give us white robes. Or else one day everything will be turned to blood and death and eternal separation from you. Lord, in a society that doesn't believe that that's true, I'd ask you, Lord, that that truth, because it is true, would really grip our lives. And I want to ask you, Father, that your spirit, it can't be something that I say, but it needs to be your spirit that begins to wake us all up, awaking us out of slumber, awaking us out of the intoxication of evil. And I'd ask you, Lord, that we would band together and really hold each other accountable and really live the truth in the marketplace of life. You've loved us enough to show us how things will go in the tribulation period. We know that probably the dominant reason you did that is for us to wake up right now with the incredible moving of your spirit that we could become a part of that. Lord, we don't just sit here waiting for all these horrible events to happen, but instead we realize that we are like that good physician who has a great cure. and We've got a radiation that can make people totally clean. And it's not even like a medical radiation. It's a radiation that will work forever and ever and ever. And so, Lord Jesus, I just pray that we present the gospel this week that will radiate people with that incredible, powerful cure that can set them free from the malignancy of evil that infects all of our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: It is our prayer that because of the presence of Jesus in your life, that his spirit will radiate people with his grace and love through you. Anyone who will humble himself or herself and open their heart to the truth God desires to share with them will never have to fear the wrath of God because their humble openness to the truth will bring them to the foot of Jesus' cross. Where are you in this journey? Let me challenge you to admit your evil before the righteous, holy God. Receive the gift of forgiveness that He desires to give you because His Son died in your place. Believe that Christ's victory over death has the power to give you a brand new eternal life. Only trust Him. Only trust Him now. If you have never invited Jesus into your life, why don't you do it now as we close this time together on Truth Encounter.